This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. We'll have two hours of advanced analysis, the X's and O's, headlines around the NBA, and breakdown of your Utah Jazz. Here are your hosts, Zach Harper and Andy Larson, on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome into the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700. Andy Larson and Zach Harper, as promised, are with you. Ben Anderson joins us as he does mostly every week now. Uh, try to. Try to. Yeah, when, when you can, when you're not in. Where did you go on vacation? Florida. Florida. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. L.A. was pretty cool, too, from, All, a, from also, a warm point Also of view. a vacation spot. Yeah. You, you went to New Orleans recently. I went to New Orleans. It's all. Muggy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But. It's different weather. A lot of, a lot of fried food. So it makes up for it. Okay. Yeah. Fair. Um, I'm Andy Larson. I'm the managing editor of SaltCityHoops.com. Zach Harper is the NBA feature columnist on FanRagSports.com. Ben Anderson is a KSL.com contributor. Writes about the Utah Jazz and the NBA for that lovely website, KSL.com, um, which I also write about the Jazz for. So we obviously, this is the playoff edition of the Salt City Hoop Show. We have a lot to talk about. The Jazz getting the split in the first two games of the first round of the uh, Western Conference playoffs. Uh, you have to say it's it's probably a success for the Jazz, right? You know, you you got what you came for. Uh, yeah, except technically for the Rudy Gobert except injury. Except for Rudy Gobert hyperextending his knee. Um, other than that, went swimmingly. Zach, how cursed are the Jazz Oof. if you got if Rudy Gobert gets injured on the first play of the game? Yeah, so eleven seconds into the game, it happens. He subs out. What seventeen seconds into yeah. the game? Um. Good plus minus, not a negative. <laughs> so that Zero. was that Neutral. was good. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. That's that. Especially with all the talk the last two years of what can this team be if they're healthy, right? right? Like that was it last year. Like, hey, they could be a playoff team if healthy. Last year, this year, hey, maybe they're the third, fourth, fifth best team in the league that you know if they're healthy. And then you get to the playoffs. Everyone's pretty healthy, and Rudy Gobert goes out. I wouldn't say they're cursed. They're not lucky. No, it's not good. Yeah. Um, but the Jazz got the game one win anyway. Uh, we're taking your questions, calls, concerns, etc. On Well, we're taking your questions on Twitter. I'll take your concerns. We'll take your concerns on Twitter. We'll take your calls, either questions or concerns, via the phones. Yeah. Uh, you can tweet us at Andy B. Larson, at Ben K. Fan, or at Talk Hoops. Um, you can also call us 877-353-0700 if you're so inclined and, and want to talk about the Jazz playoffs. Um, game three coming up tomorrow for the Jazz, 8 o'clock tip here at Vivint Arena. The crowd's going to be crazy. We're, we're going to talk about that later. Um, but it, it's, I, it's something I'm pretty excited for, right? You know, that's the first Jazz home playoff game in five years, and they'll be trying for their first win in seven. This is the first year of my professional career in which I have covered a team that ended up having a playoff game. Ah. So. Well, you've covered the, some, some not great teams. I covered the end of the Maloof era, uh, okay. Sacramento Kings. Kings. <laughs> I think they maxed out at 25 wins when yeah. I was there, um, which typically not a playoff season. I covered the uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Haven't made the playoffs in 13 years. I covered the year after LeBron James left Miami. Ooh, not a great year. Yeah, How, then, maybe you're the kiss left. of death. Well, I thought I, I was. I, I mean, especially when there were some injuries to start the season when Gordon Hayward breaks his finger, I thought, uh oh, 
<laughs> maybe maybe, exactly. maybe this guy over here is the problem. <laughs> uh, as far as the split goes with the Jazz, I think they split the right way. I, I'm always a fan of winning game one and then losing game two. I mean, win both of them if you can, but win game one so you don't have to win three in a row by protecting home court. Right. I, I just think that's the best way to do it because I don't believe in streaks. I think it's really hard to sustain that level of play, especially in a 4-5 or five matchup. I thought this was the best way for the Jazz to split this series if they could. I think, too, it put it puts a ton of pressure on the Clippers regardless, right? Because now they have to come in and get a split no matter what. They had to go into game two and get the win because you can't be a Boston Celtics team that goes down 0-2, right. then go on the road. And to be able to persevere through through the loss in game one, or the, you know, the loss of Rudy Gobert in game one the way the Jazz did, there's just a lot of emotions there. And they didn't get blown out in game two. You know? So to, to have it split that way without you know, just being completely devastated in game two, you take a lot of positives from that. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, you know, honestly, winning game one and keeping it close in game two is, is yeah, is, is a nice thing, like you said, um, especially without Rudy Gobert. And it felt like the Clippers had figured out, you know, a formula, so to speak, to attack the Jazz inside the paint. Uh, they had 60 point paints in game two, and it just looked like the Jazz had no answer for either DeAndre Jordan, Blake Griffin, Chris Paul coming off the pick and roll, really any of it. Uh First of all, is there anything that the Jazz can do about that? Or, you know, is it just wait until Rudy Gobert comes yeah, back? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, the the back line help just has to be better, right? It has to be in better position. Um, once you get to the point where DeAndre Jordan gets to play at 12 and a half feet, well, without Rudy Gobert, nobody else on this team can do that, right? I mean, maybe Joel Ballenboy, but, you know, probably not going to put him in right. <laughs> into a playoff game uh, in meaningful minutes unless you absolutely have to. So to to if Boris Dia, if Derek Favors is is containing the pick and roll and Boris Diaw is the backline help, Boris Diaw has to be way in position, mm-hmm. like in front of the restricted area before DeAndre can get there. DeAndre still may jump over him and post drive, right. but you've got to be there. And he just wasn't in game two. And the Jazz can sell out on the corners. I mean, the Jazz can absolutely say, you know what, we are not going to defend the corner three. And we will live and die by that because DeAndre Jordan shooting 8 of 11 or 9 of 11. And we are absolutely always going to keep somebody between DeAndre Jordan and the basket, even if it's old school illegal defense, but you can do it now, obviously. Double team him off the ball. Regardless of what's happening, we are going to find a way to do that. And we're not going to let DeAndre Jordan go out and go for 30. Or you can do the hack of Jordan. I mean, you really can start trying to foul him and take that away as well if you feel like you're getting to that point. Just don't even let him get into a pick and roll. That was something Quinn Snyder was asked about at uh, practice today was, you know, when what situations would you go to a hack Jordan? And he said, you know, he was pretty uh, noncommittal about it. Said, you know, it depends on time, depends on your bonus situation, depends on the score of the game. Uh, I, I've had a lot of fans ask me why they didn't go to it in the first quarter. And I think that's probably really early to go to a hack yeah. Jordan, right? You know, you're, you're accumulating a lot of fouls on guys that you may want to play in the fourth quarter, right? Um, and then for the rest of the game, I thought the Jazz, you know, played better defense, settled down a little bit. And honestly, with a with the other team having a lead, that's not a great time to go hack a Jordan because um, you want to make up those points as quickly as possible, say, in the fourth. Right, and I'm curious what you think on this, Ben, because uh, to me, it, you do it to control the pace of the game. Right. Th- those were two very slow games, game yeah. two right. and game two. So if the Clippers aren't out there pushing the ball in a way that the Jazz aren't comfortable or, or at least not designed to, to play necessarily – uh, I don't really see the the need to do it unless DeAndre Jordan is just obliterating you time after time after time at the rim and you want to get him out of some kind of rhythm. Right. The pace of the game, game one was 91, which is right where the Jazz yeah. play. Second game was slower, 88 uh, but possessions. That's good for the Jazz because they averaged 91 for the season, which is the slowest in the NBA, and they were slow and slower yeah. for game two. Clippers like to play around 96, which is considerably quicker. They're middle of the pack. They're not this super up-tempo right. team that I think a lot of people think they are. They still run some half-court stuff, but 
the the pace is favoring the Jazz right now. So in that sense, yeah. And and you know what? The Jazz haven't used a lot of Hacka anybody so right. far this season. I mean, maybe that is not something they're totally comfortable doing right now. And that's the nice thing of having two days of practice in between games here is if you need to implement that, you can spend an hour of practice doing that if you want to and figuring out how you want to do it, where to get guys in the right position so you have the right guys fouling. Yeah, and it, it's hard because you know you you ideally you would just do it when he catches the ball, right? But he finishes so quickly, you know, right. it's on lobs that you just don't really have that opportunity. And he's just strong, right. like he just finishes through contact so well that you really have to, you really do have to do it. Like when he crosses half court, you just you just play tag or you tickle him or whatever, you know, whatever right. teams <laughs> do to Dwight Howard. Like that's just what you do. There is also a part where Chris Paul is smart enough. You've seen him several times when yeah. people have tried to hack Jordan. He takes advantage of it and will get a shot up while you're fouling him or will take advantage of it and find an open player down the floor. Whoever's helping off, if you have a help defender coming over to take a foul who has fouls to give. Chris Paul's actually abused teams that way. And what you can't be doing is giving up two points or an open three because you're trying to commit this and failing to do right. it. And that's, again, where the practice can come in and help. Yeah, and I think the Jazz can probably make that happen. Um, you know, and I think they have the the big man bodies, even without Gobert, that you can you can spend. You can have Jeff with the make a few fouls. You can have Joel Ballenboy go in there foul a few times. Even Boris D out. You know, um, you can send a guard in there to do it if you want. You know, it, it, you've got enough a big enough bench you can make that happen. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that you're just trying to. I think we've seen plenty of times in the past where the Clippers, if they get taken out of their game. They don't really handle it all that well. Yep. And I like the idea of you saying we're going to give up corner threes. Now, you're not giving corner threes to J.J. Redick, right? But in Bamute. Bamute, you let him shoot. And if he if he hits four threes in a game and beats you, you live with that. And I thought there were times when Hayward, specifically in game two, wasn't willing enough to leave in Bamute. And I think it was because he went two of four in the first game. And I just think... I think Hayward's smart enough that he would do it if it was his own choice. And right. I'm thinking he's being instructed, not to say Quinn Snyder's not also smart, but they said, we won game one kind of playing this weird way with Derek Favors, assuming the Grudy Gobert role. Let's try it again. And when it didn't work, they didn't make the adjustment. And I would suspect we see that adjustment first. There's a lot of things you can do to stop the pick and roll before you go to Hack a Jordan. Right. Uh, you can put a bigger player, a right. bigger defender on Paul on uh, Chris Paul. And I won't be surprised to see if we see Hayward switch off of Mba Mute and try and assume some of those roles to pick up Chris Paul and just rotate a couple of guys where you don't want Gordon Hayward guarding Chris Paul for 35 minutes, but right. you can put him on there for four minutes or six minutes and then have Joe Ingles take six, mi- six minutes on him and then have George Hill take up the rest. And I think you can try and give up some different looks to make him, instead of just throwing lobs, if Hayward's too big, make him try and throw a pocket pass. And then you've got DeAndre Jordan on the ground picking the ball up low and then you can foul him. Right. I mean, there are ways to, uh, to attack it. I like that idea, too, because I think if you throw, you know, if you're mixing coverages up and you throw George Hill onto Bamute, well, George Hill kind of playing free safety out there. Exactly. And making plays, digging down, swiping at the ball and everything like that. You know, he's just so good at that. Yeah, and, and he doesn't have to navigate screens, which is something he's right. kind of struggled with, at least especially in game two. Right. Uh, and part of that's just Chris Paul is really good at using screens, he's right? And stupid good. Like, yeah. he's just yeah. so fun to watch. Uh, and DeAndre is really good at setting screens, too. So, yeah. you, you yeah. know, you have pieces of that pick-and-roll puzzle. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think it would be kind of nice to have that rotate around so you, you do have guys focused on every possession uh, trying to get around that screen. And, and you, again, like you say, have George Hill or whoever play free safety on the other side. The fear is you have a Brandon Knight situation where Brandon Knight comes over to be the help on that lob to right. DeAndre Jordan, and, De- and Brandon Knight got murdered one night. Yeah. By that, I mean, one of the greatest dunks in NBA history. Sure. We could see, uh, we could and, see George Hill on the wrong side of that, that and then, combo. And then you end up on the Suns, and nobody yeah. wants to play for and the Suns. And nobody wants to play there. <laughs> it's, it's inevitable. Right. It's, it's, yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, Mozgov also coming up on the Suns? Mozgov? Probably will be a son this year. I mean, the Lakers are his worst yeah, the Suns right yeah, now. Okay. They're the Suns' wester. I don't know. I mean, the Suns are already pretty far <laughs> okay. west. 
Fair. Uh, we got a couple questions on Twitter. One from BebopXZ. Do you think Exum or Neto will get a look this series outside of a blowout? I would assume that Neto will get a look. Um, just for the shooting of it, uh, you know, swipe downs on, on help defense. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think if he's healthy enough to go, he was playing pretty well before he got hurt. Like, I, I would go with him. He was. I was, I was pretty surprised uh, that he did get a look um, in, the, in the last couple of games there. And I, I, I think Sheldon Max played decent defense um, in game one and game two. Maybe is that fair to say, or am I, am I making that up? Game one, he struggled more than game two, I thought. Okay. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, so, anyway, I think it really depends if the Jazz need offense or defense, right? Like, uh, I think Max, the offensive choice, Neto's the defensive choice, and it kind of depends who's in the game. If George Hill gets in foul trouble, I think Neto taking those minutes instead of Mac makes a lot of sense. I also wouldn't be surprised to see the Jazz go clamp down defense. And what I mean by that is we're okay taking fouls in possessions, but we're going to try and get steals first, and we're going to use our length there. Where George Hill's not going to be in the game for that because you can't get him in foul trouble six minutes right. into the first quarter. But you can put Dante Exum in with three minutes left in the first quarter and say, if you foul, you foul. And DeAndre Jordan goes to the free throw line. But let's be ultra aggressive. And you're only going to play two minutes. You know, you might end up with six minutes on the game, but you're in there to try and wreak havoc with your length and try and throw something at either Raymond Felton or Chris Paul for a couple of minutes just to see if you can go out there. If you have to commit a foul, that's fine. But at least throw your length and your speed out there and see if you can generate some transition baskets. Pete Bush's next question actually leads me into what we wanted to talk about next anyway. He asked a bigger defensive hindrance to Gordon Hayward. Is it Luke um, Bamute or DeAndre Jordan? It's Luke. I mean, Luke, his, he, Luke ate him alive in the regular season. Mm-hmm. He's, he's just Gordon, – Gordon can't get to the places he wants to go. And, and I think you see it like Gordon will start getting into the middle of the floor, and when he gets in the middle of the floor, he's so good. He hits the pull-up jumper. Yep. He can move the ball into the corners. Like he can you know, throw a lob, whatever. Like he's so good in that area but I feel like he's getting three steps away from where he wants to go, and then he's just stopped. He had no shots within 10 feet uh, in game two and, right. and never got to the rim. And, you know, it's easy to go 5 for 15 when you don't get any layups. Yeah, I mean, he shot really poorly against the Clippers in the regular season. He's, what, 35 34% in the first two games or whatever. Um, you know, he had 20 points because he went to the free throw line and he hit threes, yep. but it's just it's not enough. And, and I don't think you blame him for the game two loss because I think that's dramatic. But he needs he has to do more. I mean, he is he's the star of your team, yep. and it's not like go be Kobe Bryant and sure. you know, take everything down. Like it's not it's not that necessarily. It's be more aggressive in a way that benefits the team. Uh, and with Luke, they just do not have to throw help at him. I mean, he just doesn't right. need a help defender other yeah. than Jordan coming over to be normal help side shot blocker. So where DeAndre Jordan certainly plays a role there. I mean, he is a reason why Gordon Hayward sure. is pulling up at ten feet versus just attacking the rim once he's got Luke Richard behind him. Now he has to stop and pull up and shoot from 10 feet because Jordan will block him as he has. What, he might have three blocks on Hayward alone in this series through the first two games, including, I think, two early in the first quarter of both games, which maybe Gordon is that guy who, when he gets blocked early, doesn't go back to the rim sure. immediately. And some guys do. James Harden doesn't care. James Harden will go right back. Gordon might not be at that point yet in his career. Uh, and when the Jazz are doing that and he has to pull it from 10 feet, they don't have to send that extra help side defender over, which means the corner three is not open, which means he can't kick it back out to, to George Hill. And then that's that kills your offense, and that's why guys like DeAndre Jordan and Rudy Gobert are impressive and incredible, and you need them, and then you need that wing defender as well who, even if you're in jail, if you're in prison on the ball handler's shoulder, you can still reach over and block the shot. There's not that many guys who can do that in right. the league. I'll, I'll ask you the same question I asked about whether or not the Jazz can defend the paint better without Gobert. Uh, can Hayward do anything against Mute to get better looks for himself? I honestly think he should be trying to initiate more contact. A- absolutely. You get... You get- Try to get cheap fouls, and all right, I know this is a dirty word, but you flop. 
Yes. You do. Like you try to get him you try to get an arm in there, you rip through, you try to flop. You if you get a couple early fouls on him or you get three fouls in the first half or you know, four fouls in the first you know, thirty minutes of the game, whatever whatever it ends up being, Bamute can't be as aggressive and can't be as physical as he has been and you just you have to play that game. And I'm not trying to, I'm not being guarded by him, so I don't know what it's actually like, Probably but sucks. what does he try to do? He tries to block jump shots. Yeah. What's like the number one rule in basketball and defense? Don't try and block a jump shot. Just right. get a hand in his face. He tries to block him, meaning he's going to jump aggressively, not just vertically, but into you. Hmm. Jump backwards. Right. I mean, when you turn that corner and you still pull up at 10 feet, you know he's coming because he's already blocked two of your shots. Jump backwards into him. Like, that's what I'm waiting for him to do, and I haven't seen it, and I don't know why we haven't seen it. He did try and do it at the three-point line, coming off that screen right. in, the sec- in the second game. He didn't get the foul called, which was just a bad call. He, he absolutely got hacked there. But I thought that was him saying, you know what, i got to get to the free-throw line. Like, this is not going to work. I'm not going to hit buckets. Yeah. I've got to be... 12 free throw attempts to, to get there. And even if I shoot 30 or 40%, at least I'm getting to the free throw line. And he has done that to a point so far. I did like that he got more threes in that game, right? Took Huge. six instead sure. of one in, in game one uh, and made three of them, which is which is what you want. Fantastic. Yeah, I think, uh, I think that what he can do in terms of what Ben's talking about is just look on the other side of the floor. Chris Paul does this masterfully, right? Like does the gets the defender on his back. Yeah draws a cheap foul, right. whatever, and, and it's smart. Like, it's just smart basketball, and there's not this – at this time in the playoffs, like, none of this, like, mono mono stuff matters. None of the macho stuff matters. Like, we play the game the right way. No, you win games. And whatever you whatever it takes to win games, like, that's what you have to do. And if it's flopping, if it's drawing questionable fouls, whatever, like, Gordon has to take that initiative to draw more contact. I do think Luke is a really good defender from behind, right? Like, yeah. he uses his lengths, and even when he's trailing on pick and rolls to kind of still slow Hayward down – uh, and get himself back in front or get in the way of a shot in a way that I would say 90, 95% of the uh, other percent of other defenders don't. Some people call him the Cameroon Andre Kirilenko. Do people call him that? Well, I just made it up, but now they might. I don't know. <laughs> uh, it's also a reason though, why the Jazz have been able to get a lot of those shovel dump-off passes to Derek Favors to get so many dunks and why he's shooting so efficiently because when you have somebody on your back, somebody has to come and help from the front, and that's DeAndre, and when DeAndre leaves Derek, you get an easy dunk there. So, I mean, it's two-sided. You have sure. to read it well, but then again, those two guys are so long, that's not exactly an easy pass. And I do think that you know, if, if Rudy Gobert is that guy down there, then either... Uh, DeAndre is less likely to go help on Gordon or he's able to finish more of those opportunities at the rim um, when he catches the ball from 10 feet or so out, especially. And also, maybe you just isolate Gordon Hayward really early in the clock and you say, we're going to let you bring the ball up. You're going to be the point guard and we're going to set picks for you and we're going to set picks for you until we get a mismatch. And that way, Luke isn't guarding you. And that is one way to do it. It's not the way the Jazz have traditionally played. But if it's that big of an issue and Gordon Hayward can't score and he's still scoring. That's the good thing. He's still scoring, but if he's not scoring efficiently, maybe you, you do have to change it a little bit to get him in isolation situations where you can screen Mbamute off of him. And you probably have to do a lot of, like, two, three pick and rolls, right? Or right. two, three pick and pops, whatever, with Joe Ingles to try to get Redick to switch on because Redick will be the weak. I mean, Blake Griffin, you can they've gone on him quite a bit. Yep. He's made a ton of defensive mistakes in the first two games, so maybe you want to run a bunch of four or five as, as well, and that helps because then you have, you have Boris in the mix, you know, making plays if you kick it to him. Um, but I do think uh, you do have to just run screen, screen, screen and hope to force that. And if you don't force it, maybe they're helping enough that you have an open shooter. And it's not unfair to ask Rodney Hood to do more. I don't think, right. I mean, he's, he's on the floor. He's an NBA player. He needs to, he's a scorer. That's really his role with the Jazz. He's not a defensive stopper. He's not this great passer. He needs to be out there shooting and scoring, and he's not been great so far in the first two games. So you need to ask Rodney Hood to step up and play better. Maybe as a young player coming back to Salt Lake City, being at home will help him. And especially, you know, he's he's playing most of his minutes against bench units, right? And right. The, the Clippers' bench guards are not good defenders. 
Right. I mean, they really do miss Austin Rivers. Like, yeah. he, I mean, we talked about it before. Like, he was so good against the, the Jazz this year. But you really see it with when they have Jamal Crawford and Ray Felton on the floor. And Ray Felton's played decent defense. Or maybe that's just decent defense for him. Right? Like, yeah. I, I don't know no, what I'm grading. On, I'm probably grading on a curve. On here, a Ray but, Felton scale. Right. <laughs> um, but don't don't a, put Ray on, Felton on a scale now. It, no, you don't want to <laughs> put him on a scale. What's it like? With him, it would be like a bell-shaped body curve or whatever. <laughs> yes, yeah. Like, that's what it would be. Um, but he, with... With those guys, you see them like really hunting out Jamal, hunting out Ray mm-hmm. Felton, hunting out Maurice Spates in the second unit, and and that's really where you have to kind of take advantage. Austin Rivers was ruled out for Game Three, as was Rudy Gobert this morning. There's some people who think Austin won't play at all in the series, hmm. no matter how long it goes. I don't know if that's you know an actual fact, but like there are people <laughs> around there are people around the Clippers who who feel that way. Yeah, and I mean that would obviously be a huge help for the Jazz because I do think the Clippers bench is fairly shallow. I mean, we saw a lot of Paul Pierce minutes to actually surprising effect in Game Two. I keep thinking security is going to usher him off the floor because an old man has wandered onto the court, and that's not allowed. Uh, Riley O'Brien has a good question on Twitter. What's the one adjustment you guys expect the Clippers to make that the Jazz will have to be ready for in Game 3? The nice thing is they won Game 2 by just doing something that the Jazz couldn't stop, which is scoring in the paint. I don't know if the onus is on them to make the adjustment after they won Game 2. The onus is on the Jazz now to make the major adjustment. I think the Clippers come out in the first quarter and try and do the same thing they did in the first quarter without Rudy Gobert. And see if you can fix it. And if you can't, then you say, well, then we have to regroup. Yeah, I think a secondary action they may try is um, they do this really well. Is they run a handoff game between Blake Griffin and J.J. Redick. Now, Joe Ingles has been all over Redick to yeah. start games, mm-hmm. right? He's kind of taken him out of the game. Um, so that makes it tougher to do. But if I think if they can get that action going, it draws so much the defense that that offense becomes even more potent. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Yeah, I, I think, again... Uh, we're we're gonna see the Clippers try to push the ball more than the, they did in game in the second, third, and fourth quarters of game two. Uh, I also, Doc Rivers also said that he felt their offense got fairly stagnant at the yeah. at, in the fourth quarter, and I think that's where you saw that you know they had sixty fourth points in the paint, but only six of those came in the fourth quarter, uh, and you know. It, the Clippers won that game because Chris Paul was incredible, but right. if, you know if he's not, although he'll probably will be, but maybe you don't have to put all the load on Chris Paul at the end of right. the game. I, I, uh, you know, I love him, but Jamal Crawford's just really bad in really the fourth bad. quarter of playoff games. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's been bad all game, yeah. uh, both games, except for maybe like a two or three minute stint. Yeah, I mean, maybe one of the best plays he made was the Joe Johnson game winner because there was actually solid defense. For, or maybe I'm. Graded on a curve again because of who the player <laughs> yeah. is, but um, but they and they really they don't. Doc Rivers can't really seem to help himself with Jamal Crawford. He sees a guy who can dribble that way, who can get off any shot he needs to, and he he trusts him in the fourth quarter, and maybe that pays off eventually. But it it's just been bad so far. It really gives the Jazz an avenue to attack, right? Like we've yeah. talked about all the problems that the Jazz have had offensively, and with Jamal Crawford, it's a really simple solution: have him you know switch enough that he ends up guarding either. Gordon Hayward or Joe Johnson and have those guys go to work. Yeah. Do you guys get the impression you have a good grasp on this series? Because I, I, here's my problem. Joe Johnson hit a game winner. I mean, it, it, it was that even until the very last second to get the Jazz game one, and the Jazz played the Clippers to a standstill over the final three quarters, but then again, the Clippers just held the Jazz at arm's length and didn't go super aggressive right. to try and push them away. They didn't have to, but I mean, it's been a really even series. This still feels like a total toss-up to me either way, and I'm not sure who's actually playing better. Yeah, yeah, and I, I don't know, you know, for me, some of it, so much of it account, comes back to whether or not Rudy Gobert comes back, right? Like, if he comes back in game four, then it's, you know, you play a majority of the series with Rudy Gobert. Uh, without him, then I can't, I, I still think the Jazz have significant, significant problems inside. And even then, how much of a, how much is Gobert just smoke and mirrors? 
You know, yeah. like how 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 effective is he able to be if he comes back, or is it a you know not to be overly historically dramatic here, or is it a Willis Reed moment sure. where like he's just on the court to make a couple of plays early, and then you're not really doing anything with him. I think Jazz game. fans would appreciate if you called it a Derek Fisher moment sure. where he comes Derek back in <laughs> overtime because Jazz fans just universally have loved everything Fisher's done <laughs> for the organization. He's the best. So best. Have, so of uh, players he's coached. Yeah. Also big fans. Yeah. Players he's coached. Uh, former Clippers. Former uh, Clippers. For sure. Just, yeah, a lot of affinity there. Yeah. All right, we've got to take a break. On the other side, we've got another question from our Twitter followers. And then we also want to talk about uh, the Jazz's success guarding J.J. Redick and Jamal Crawford, where that comes from. And is there a discernible weakness with the Los Angeles Clippers? That's next on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Back to the analytics, opinions, and best breakdown of the Utah Jazz and the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700. Uh, Andy Larson, Zach Harper, Ben Anderson with you. Uh, We're watching this Cavs-Pacers game, and I've got good news for Pacers fans, and I've got bad news. They had a 25-point lead at halftime. That's good. The Pacers did. Over the Cavs. That's great. You need, you need to respond in game three. You lost the first two games. Tough losses. Yep. Come back in game three. You really blitz them. Fantastic job. Bad news. Bad news. They're uh, down one now with three minutes left in the game. Oh. They've they lost their 25-point their lead. They actually got up to 26 at one point and now trail 108-107 with three minutes left. Uh, Some uh, classic late-game LeBron free-throw shooting, though. We just went over at the sure. free-throw line in a big situation. I believe uh, I believe this is what we call a comeback in the industry. <laughs> Is it is uh, it's certainly one of the biggest playoff comebacks of all time. There was, you know, the the magnificent uh game 6 Clippers Rockets comeback uh where they basically came da- back from 25 in the in the fourth quarter. But luckily uh the Cavs can just make all the threes apparently. Yeah, I mean they're they're a good shooting team. I think that uh it doesn't really matter right now. It probably won't matter until the finals whether or not they can play defense, right? Right. Oh, uh, I mean, and we'll talk about some of these series. I just I was thinking about the East like the Cavs don't look good, but who's going to stop them? And are we actually going to see the Wizards in the finals? Woo. Like, we might see the Wizards in the finals. I love, love me it. some John Wall. Yeah. I really love me some John Wall. That'd be a fun series with the Wizards and the Cavs. Markeith Morris Would against it? Draymond Green? Ooh. Uh, I, I'm also thinking we might have a, a re, uh, reliving of the 1999 Knicks. Like, you might have an eight seed in the championship game. Right. Now, they would get rolled just like the Knicks did, but you might have an eight seed in the finals. You know who I'm done with? This Celtics team. I'm out. All the way out. Explain why. I'm just sick of them. They don't have any stars, and I know it's hard to get stars, but you don't, you don't come at – mostly Jay Crowder today, and I like Jay Crowder, but he comes out and he's like, yeah, you know, we're used to being the underdog and we're back <laughs> against the walls. I'm like, you're the one seed. Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? Right. Pete Bush on Twitter said, kind of talking about the Jazz, he says, hey, I'm a, very afraid of Hayward leaving, as is everyone in Utah. Uh, if Boston loses soon, is that better for the Jazz or worse? Way better for the Jazz. Way better. For yeah, them. way better. Yeah. Because they may have to start thinking about being aggressive and saying, we have to trade the number one pick for Jimmy Butler or for Paul George. Right. We have to get somebody, and we can't hope that we get Gordon because it's not just us and the Jazz anymore. Like Maybe there is something to this Miami thing. Maybe I, there is. Look, maybe I, there are some names yeah. being bounced around that he could land on. I don't know anything about Gordon's side of it, but I do know that the Miami Heat have – very strong confidence in at least their pitch to Gordon Hayward. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm sure that they're going to have that conversation and they're going to invite Gordon to Miami. Yeah, and it's going to be he's going to have to say no to Miami. Those at some Cuban point, right? sandwiches and that's are hard. fantastic. Yeah. That's <laughs> that's a hard thing to pass up. And he's going to get 200 million dollars. That's a lot uh, of Cuban sandwiches. 
Yep. I don't know how. What's the conversion rate? <laughs> I think you can get a Cuban sandwich for like three fifty. Oh, four bucks. That's cheaper than I thought. Pretty yeah. good. You're right. just he also, he also gets to play LeBron four times a year, which I'm sure he'd love. And then oh. in the playoffs, because he's been so good against Luke, LeBron's going to make it easier. Giorgio uh, Spinias, our favorite Greek fan, has a question. Can we win this series without Rudy playing at all? Yes. Talking about the Jazz. Yes, because hmm. the Clippers are still the Clippers. Yep. Right. I agree with you. Um, I wouldn't have said that before the series, but right. what I've seen since is, well, yeah, why not? You, yeah. were, you, had a, you had the ball down six with four minutes to go in the fourth quarter of the second game after winning game one without it. Right. Like, absolutely, you can beat this team. Yeah, and I mean, there was there were two possessions that stood out for me. I think one was at like the six and a half minute mark of the fourth quarter, and one was at the around two or one and a half minutes left in the game where the Jazz got the stops they needed down six both times and just couldn't get the offensive rebound. Yeah. And and it led to scores both times. I think one was a Blake corner three, which you'll give up. Yep. You know, I, I think it's great that we're that the broadcasts are like, hey, Blake added a three point shot this year. He hit like thirty eight right. threes. Right. Like total. Like he, I wouldn't say you really added it. And um and two, like you're you give you gave up a Chris Paul jumper on the other one. Um but if you can if you can prevent Chris Paul from having these extra opportunities then you have to feel pretty good about taking it the other way and just putting the pressure on the Clippers that they don't really handle all that well. And it could be wrong. Both of those might have come off offensive rebounds. They were. Yeah. Both of those yeah. could have come off of offensive rebounds, well, which is fine. Yeah, so just get the rebound. Right, yeah. One was a Jamal Crawford miss on the baseline, and then Chris Paul missed a three, and Luke Bamute, I think, grabbed the, yeah. the offensive yep. rebound. And he grabbed the offensive rebound on the other one that, that found Blake in the corner. You also look at a couple open three-point shots that they could have hit late in the game. The Jazz. The Jazz yeah. could have hit, yeah. That would have you know cut the lead to three. And from then, good three-point shooters. Right, right, from Joe Johnson and Gordon Hayward. And then I'm another wide-open one from Boris Diaw. Okay. But you're right. It was the two guys who actually shot. Boris Diaw didn't shoot. That was his problem. The two guys who shot were Joe Johnson and Hayward. And Hayward was three of six in that game. And I think three of five to that point. And it was in transition. It was a great shot. Yeah. He just didn't hit it. Scott Lambert on Twitter asks, who do you guys think is winning the coaching battle so far in the series? Who has the advantage going forward? Uh, I mean, I haven't really been all that impressed with with Doc. I yeah. mean, I think you would say Quinn has has won the the coaching battle so far simply because he has managed to do this without Rudy Gobert, right? Yeah. Um, and I think Doc, at least the last couple of years, just I'm not all that impressed with him in the playoffs. I kind of think he relies on the wrong guys. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think I I agree with you, especially game one where they just went over and over and over again to Blake Griffin against in the post against Joe Johnson, and that's the Jazz are totally fine with that. Like any post up you want to throw, I I don't care if it's Blake Griffin, I don't care if it's Carl Malone, I don't care if it's whoever Kevin McHale. Like right. at this point in this NBA, we're going to be completely fine with post ups uh, yeah. as as an offensive strategy. So I I thought. Uh, Doc Rivers kind of let his team down by calling so many of those, or at least allowing them to run so many of those, rather than uh, really Chris Paul-oriented actions, right? Where you know, those are, I think, a lot harder for the Jazz to stop. Um, game two, you know, you can say maybe Quinn Snyder should have made the adjustment earlier with regards to the paint defense, yep. which is you know what we talked about in the first segment. But uh, it's also just hard. There aren't really a whole lot of great answers there, personnel-wise, anyway. Right. I mean, there's not there's not much you can do when the other center is jumping above the box on the backboard, right? And DeAndre Jordan leads the league in dunks, right? Right. So he's going to dunk. He's yeah. going to dunk. Yeah. You just have to hope you can limit the number there, and the Jazz weren't able to do it. Hey, I don't think – I mean, I would give it to Quinn because the Jazz are 1-1 coming back home to Salt Lake City, and they don't have Rudy Gobert. Inherently, Quinn has done something better than Doc Rivers has there. Uh, but it's not this enormous gap no. where uh, – who is it? Adrian Dantley took over for – George yeah, Carl, George when the Jazz were playing against the Nuggets, and it was just like, oh, man. like The talent discrepancy on those teams was not huge. 
the coaching discrepancy was so obvious that Adrian Dantley had no idea what he was doing against against Jerry. This, and, is, this isn't a Fred Hoiberg dominating Brad Stevens scenario, right? Which yeah. we all saw and right. expected. <laughs> <laughs> we said that before the series started. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, that, Dantley was so bad in that series, right? Like he immediately became a crossing guard. Like it's right. it's not a good setup for. For the former jazz man. Uh, one more question from Twitter. And by the way, if any of you guys want to tweet us any other questions, at Andy B. Larson, at Ben K. Fan, at Talk Hoops. Rick Blackham asks, isn't it time that someone asked the tough questions of Utah Jazz management about their medical staff? Golden State changed theirs. It's not that injuries won't happen, but Burke's multiple surgeries and Favors' chronic issues seem to be reasonable red flags. Do you guys think it's time to ask the tough questions? Haven't we asked these? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I think it, they have been talked about, and I'm sure Dennis Lindsay again. He's the, like he said in his interview with Woj. He's just he's done with blind spots. He's not going to have blind spots on this organization anymore. If he thinks it's a problem, he'll make a change this offseason. Yeah, and I think that's something that you don't overreact to, right? Like I think that is something where you you look at it from a all right, we have two years of this where that's not gone our way. Is this two years of randomness because they are kind of fluky injuries for the most part, or is this something a part of a bigger problem? And I think with Something like medical, you know, issues, you want as many years as possible. Like, mm. you don't want to drag your feet with it, but I don't think two years is a sufficient sample size with NBA injuries. I yeah, just don't. That's fair. And, you know, the Jazz did make a change this past offseason to hiring a director of rehabilitation, right? You know, after the Derek Favors, after the Alex Burks injuries, those rehabs didn't go well. They hired a guy who's in charge of that. Um, now, have those rehabs gone better since then? Well, I mean, Derek Favors is playing. Alec Burks is not playing because he got the, the platelet-rich plasma injection in his knee. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's a mixed bag so far. And again, I guess the, uh, the, the director of rehabilitation, Nixon Dorvillian is his name, is a rookie, right? Like, maybe you do need those years of experience in, in the medical uh NBA field as well to as kind of that in a new position too. Yeah. I mean, and I don't, this is very uneducated what I'm about to say, but I've been around a lot of teams and kind of paid attention to pregame situations of like guys warming up and guys training and stuff. And the jazz are doing the same stuff. Everyone else is doing like they, they just are. And, and, and so who are the two guys you think fans are complaining about most? I mean, obviously George Hill hurts because, but George Hill, you know, hurt a finger and then hurt a foot, hurt a toe. It's been lingering. Like turf toe, right? Yeah, it's like, like yeah. weird turf, stuff. Turf toe sucks. So I'm, I'm going can, to, there's nothing they could have done. Favors and Burks. Well, I mean, those might be the two most contact happy guys that the Jazz right. have. And they're also mm-hmm. extremely athletic. So Derek Favors is super athletic. He tried to jump over people when he was younger. Mm-hmm. And once that started to go away, he's had to embrace being a strong guy, a contact guy. And he, I mean, he, he said it. Two years in the league, to me, he said, I think I'm the strongest power forward in the NBA. Hmm. And he, so he embraces that. He wants to be a strong guy. And he may not show it all the time. He's not acting like a tough guy out there. But he knows he's strong, and he tries to be strong. Well, that means he's embracing contact, and that wears on your body. And Alec Burke's you know, possession to floor ratio is one-to-one. I mean, he's always <laughs> on the ground. He's always going into the crowd. He's always... Jazz players make fun of him for it, right? For that, right? Like they, they every time that he goes down, you can see the bench is laughing, and then after the game, someone bugs him about it. Like, hey, saw you on the floor again, you know? Like (laughs) that hurts. It's the floor wins every time. The a the floor wins every time, and b then it hurts Burke's ability to get back on defense because he's horizontal at that point. Right. So, but but I think those are also things I'd look at. The athletic guys who have embraced hitting the ground or hitting people have been injured. Well, yeah, of course. It's like saying football players are going to get hurt. Well, yeah, it hurts. It's a stupid game where you hit each other all day right. long. Like you're going to get hurt. <laughs> yeah.
All right, we got to take another break. Um, on the other side, we I said we'd talk about the discernible weakness with the Clippers. What is that weakness? Uh, we'll talk about that next segment on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. The home of the best Utah Jazz and NBA breakdown is right here. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show. We uh, updated you last segment about the Cavs-Pacers game where the Pacers had a 26-point lead, 25-point lead at halftime, and then have uh, since let go of the rope. It took a 35-17 third quarter by Cleveland and now a 33-20 fourth quarter, uh, and they now lead 117-111 with 17 seconds left. It and looks like the Cavs are going to get. By this let one. go of the rope, you mean they wrapped it around their neck several times and then gave <laughs> and in, just like sweet <laughs> death. Like okay, the, this this incarnation of the Pacers is done. Let's just be done with it. Sorry, Paul, you're leaving. Paul George, that is. Hey, good news for the Jazz. Like Paul George becoming available is a great sign. Yeah, because that's a guy that Danny Ainge will target, or or Miami will target and say, look, we can get Paul George. We know we can get him. Go get him. Mm-hmm. Like he's as good or better than Gordon Hayward, and he might be more easy to sway. So let's Absolutely. just go do that. Paul George has 36 points, 15 rebounds, and 9 assists. LeBron James, one better, 41 points, 12 rebounds, 12 assists. Just unacceptable. I, re- I remember when stars were stars in this league. Yeah. And they And they, they were able to put their stamp on games. There's no stamp here. No one uses the mail anymore. That's, that's the biggest problem. Right. Uh, ben, you wanted to ask if there was a discernible weakness with the Los Angeles Clippers. Have we seen something from the Clippers – if you're a Jazz fan, that you think like, oh, this is your this is your go-to. This is how you attack the Clippers over and over and over. Or this is the reason why the Clippers aren't going to be so heavily favored in this series. When uh, Jamal Crawford's in the game, right? Like that's what the Jazz have done sure. over and over and over again. Is that yeah. get a switch on him and exploit it? Right. I, mean, I think it's. I think it's. You don't have to wait for that. I think the Clippers have been very poor defending the pick and roll in the first two games. Hmm. Um, it's led to a lot of spot up shooting that they have. They've, I mean, they're giving up sixty uh, percent on catch and shoot three pointers right now. Like sixty percent, like that's unreal. Yeah. So to to do that, I mean, they're just not covering spot up shooters. They're not covering. Um, I, I think the biggest problem for the Jazz in executing this pick and roll is they seem to be throwing a lot of low passes in the middle of the lane to Derek Favors, mm-hmm. and I think that's susceptible to turnovers. And turnovers have been a problem for this team, right? Uh, but when you can avoid that kind of sloppiness in getting the ball to Derek Favors, uh, and especially when you're able to put Boris Diaw in that role, um, you can just pick this team apart. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, you know, I think that's because they're usually looking high for Rudy Gobert lob. Favors doesn't have the explosion or the athleticism to catch those lobs, and so you have to get the ball somehow. Low gets a lot of turnovers, sure. as you know, we've, we've seen in the past. If there's a couple of things we've learned, and again, it's only two games. It's a small sample size. One of them is that the Jazz have been able to attack the shooting guards, just in general, Jamal Crawford. And then on the flip side, you just haven't had these huge games from uh, J.J. Redick, which was kind of one thing we talked about before the series started. If there was a danger point, it was that right. they had those other guys, in addition to their big three, that would just kill the Jazz, and the Jazz can't match that. And that hasn't been an issue so far, because Joe Ingles has done a great job on J.J. Uh, here's what has changed that I think is discernible, but it's not necessarily a weakness. The infallibility that the Clippers carried against the Jazz because they had won 18 of 20 is gone. That fear of the Clippers, I think, is totally gone. I don't think anyone on this Jazz team doesn't think they can hang with the Clippers, and I'm not sure I would have said that a month ago. 
And I don't think there's any fear now of this Clippers team. You're here. This is the team you're playing. You've beat them once. You can beat them. You can win this series. I think that's a new change for the Jazz that I didn't know actually existed before the series started. And the Jazz don't feel like they've played their best basketball, right? That's, that's something that Joe Ingles and Rodney Hood have both said. Is you know we feel like we can we feel like we can make more shots personally. Those two guys, and then we can run. We can play better defense. We can run sharper execution wise. You know we we can push the ball. We can we can find our bigs and you know to the extent that they haven't done that yet and of course Gordon Hayward can get going so yeah. there, you know there are a lot of different small medium and big ways where the Jazz can be better in this series than they have been in the first two games and to piggyback off both those points I don't think I st- I mean they didn't really worry about the Jazz collectively before Rudy Gobert went down and now that Rudy Gobert has gone down I still don't think the Clippers are taking this Jazz team all that seriously as a threat now I don't think they're disrespectful I just think they're confident enough like oh we'll be fine they don't have Gobert Right, like right. we yeah. we will execute our game, and our game is good enough. We're a great offense. We've played good defense through stretches this season, and I think not having—I don't even know if you want to call it a fear—but not having that fear of the Jazz benefits Utah in the sense that if things start rolling, it doesn't become—it doesn't become what do we do to change us. It becomes why is this happening? There's mental weakness on this team too. The Clippers, like sure. they are really mentally limited, and I don't know if it's because of what comes next. Is that you're going to get rolled by the Golden State Warriors in the next round? That's like, got to be a defeating maybe thing. Maybe that, right? like, it doesn't matter what we do. And again, this is what we talked about before the series started a couple of weeks ago. It the Jazz might be dumb enough to win this series, right? Because the Jazz aren't thinking about what's next. They, they're not that team. They don't have that experience to think about. Well, Golden State's coming up next. Right. And that's going to be a short series. <laughs> they don't like that. Would be a success for them. Oh, oh huge success. Whereas with the Clippers, two. it is. Oh, we didn't get past the second round again. Which I think. I, like, I've had a problem with viewing the Clippers this way of, oh, well, they can't get past the second round. Like, we can't champion how great the Western Conference is year after year after year in right. this era and then say, oh, well, you losers didn't get to the conference finals. Like, right. I just like I do think, uh, aside from losing to Houston because they're up 3-1, like, you should have closed yeah. out Houston. That's a collapse. But other than that, like, I don't, I don't look at them as necessarily this, like, unbelievable failure. I think they are just in a loaded conference that is very hard to advance in. They've got a worse resume than what they actually are. Exactly. Like, what, what you're right. going to look back at Chris yeah. Paul's career, even though it's phenomenal, first ballot Hall of Famer, you're going to say first, four first-round losses, right. four second-round losses, three times he hasn't made the playoffs at all. Like, you're going to look back and yeah. say, well, that was a guy who couldn't perform in the playoffs when, if you're watching this series, the opposite is true. And you yeah. look at his number, his numbers in the playoffs That are guy's ridiculous. ridiculous. Right. Yeah. But you're, he's going to get the McGrady thing, exactly. which is McGrady could never get out of the first round. Exactly. It's like, well, McGrady had some good games, yeah. and he was on some teams that weren't as good as the rest Putting of the up, teams he was around. Yeah, he was carrying Andrew DeClerc around. Right. Yeah. Andrew DeClerc's probably a crossing guard right now. <laughs> we can find out. It's a big crossing guard, by the way. He was like 7-1. He might be listening. He's he like might. a guy who would call in. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I'm doing right now? Yeah. <laughs> That's what we want. If you're if you're a former NBA player listening to the show, please call in and let us know what you're doing. Specifically, one who went to Florida <laughs> for college and played college ball. I like it. Teddy Dupay, Jason Williams. I would love to talk to Jason Williams yeah. right now. That'd be great. Yeah. We what what we've learned is we need a very specific class of guests. On I've got this show. a real niche here that I want to talk to. <laughs> um, it, you also mentioned this Clippers inevitable game thing, yeah. Ben. What do you mean by that? Uh, have we seen that game which we said was inevitable before it started, where the Clippers shooters are going to beat you? Where J.J. Reddick's going to have 25, or Austin Rivers, and he hasn't played, luckily for the Jazz, or Jamal Crawford has that 18-point game with a 14-point third quarter, and you say inevitably that was going to happen and the Jazz were going to lose that game. I, we haven't seen that yeah. specifically, but I'm not waiting for it anymore because of what Joe Ingles has done to J.J. Reddick and because Austin Rivers has been banged up. Maybe the inevitable game was that 
there's going to be a game when they score 60 points and 30 of them come on lobs. And that was the, that was inevitable. That was going to happen at some point in the series. And it happened in game two and it's gone and it's behind you and you're still tied 1-1. I, I think maybe we've seen that inevitable game from the Clippers that we haven't seen from the Jazz where Joe Ingles goes 4-5 of five and Rodney Hood goes 3-3 three of three from the three-point line and they have enough just by ancillary guys, other guys that win you the game. Yeah, yeah. I don't think either team has had that game. I mean, right. to me, in my mind, the Clippers haven't shot well enough from three and the Jazz haven't shot well enough from three uh, and they haven't you know gotten everything they wanted in the way that I, I associate with that kind of game. You know, when you say that, I think of like the, the Jazz's game against the Thunder earlier this season where they hit 10 threes or yeah, whatever it was ten in a row. row, right? And that just, you know, mathematically doesn't happen except for that one time. Right. Uh, so, th- yeah, we haven't seen any fluke games, I guess, I, I would say. But, but I, the, the, uh, sorry, the guys I thought it would come from, which are J.J. Redick, I'm just not sure he's going to get that breathing room to do it. Unless you can get Joe Ingles in foul so trouble, I, maybe it happens. I think they will find a way to get him going because I think he's just too good at, at the way he moves without the ball to to be stymied for an entire series. Yeah. And in the same respect of Joe Ingles and Rodney Hood thinking they haven't played their best ball, Clippers haven't played close to their best basketball yet. And yeah. maybe that's just Clippers playoffs or whatever, and you're expecting a decline or a failure or whatever, but they they can play so much better than they've played. I think J.J. Redick and Jamal Crawford have hit 13 of 14 or missed 13 of 14 three-point shots mm, as far, right. so far. You know, you have them take any kind of shot, and they're going to make more than 13 out of 14 on average. So they're just that talented. Right, and I, th- I mean, Jamal Crawford seems to hit a three-quarter court shot every three games, right? He almost so, hit three the other right, day. Exactly. I mean, honestly, he almost hit three. <laughs> <was Yeah>. very <laughs> close. Uh, all right, we got to take a break. I want to talk to you guys about the crowd stuff. You know, this Ooh. is it's sports talk radio, so we sure. we got to talk about we got to be controversial. Uh, whether or not the the Chris Paul comments at the Jazz were uh, a complete homers <laughs> means anything. So that's coming up next on the Salt City Hoops Show right here on ESPN seven hundred. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700. Andy Larson, Zach Harper, Ben Anderson with you. Uh, question from our last segment, we were talking about Paul George a little bit. Now Pacers down 3-0 to the Cavs after blowing that 26-point lead. Uh, where does Paul George end up? Los Angeles. 100% Los Angeles. This, this offseason? 100%. 100%. Whether okay. it's this offseason or the next one, I think... If Is you Palenka tra- his agent? Um, Does he have connections there at all? I don't believe so. But if uh, I think I think the plan has been this for a while, of if Indiana is not a serious contender, he wants to be in L.A. Right. Uh, he's an L.A. guy. And so I think if you trade for him, I think he's leaving. Like, I really do. Like I just think I think he will go sign with the hmm. Lakers. Yeah, so no team wants to give up a lot of assets for right. a one-year rental of Paul. Yeah, Jones. I mean, I, to, to be fair to Danny Ainge, and I've been very critical of Danny Ainge in this like great rebuild quote unquote um, because he won't give up any assets. I sort of get it for Paul George just because, I mean, I think if you're Boston, you have to feel like we can convince him by being the team that will, you know, take down LeBron eventually or whatever. Um, But to give up at, you know, those assets for him, a number one pick. Yeah. And then have him walk would be not a disaster, but really, really bad. Yeah. Then the only other team and, and yeah, the LA thing is he's a California guy. He's an LA guy. The one team I would keep an eye on is Miami because they need a small forward and Pat Riley just has something and he's got some Laker in. I mean, he's the reason the Lakers are the Lakers. Right. Pat Riley is that reason. So maybe if he can sell them on the Showtime thing and says, look, the East is better, man. You're not going to play Golden State for the next three years while they're still really good. Just stay with us because Cavs are going to be tired. Like maybe they make their eighth straight. Maybe LeBron makes his eighth straight finals, but 
He's played in eight finals in a row. Like he's gonna yeah. break down. He's gonna stop. Do you see today LeBron passed Kobe for all time scoring in the playoffs? Yeah. Like already. Already. LeBron is so played unreal how good he is. A lot of playoff minutes. He also, I think, passed Kobe for three pointers made in the playoffs. I can't fathom how good he is. I cannot believe that like you get to watch him every day and he's he is crossing off all these names yeah. because there are times when he, you feel like he's let you down a little bit, but he just hasn't really. In all honesty, his career has been as good as we've ever seen. And he's doing it in so many different ways, I think, as, as what, you know, whether it be 41 and 12 and 12 and a 26 point comeback yeah. or dominating a game through just passing the ball and, and setting up his teammates. Block I mean, on Andre Iguodala, I still can't get over. It, yeah. I mean, that is an all time play. If he does that, if he completes that dunk, and it doesn't matter, he, oh. they won this. If he completes that dunk on Draymond Green, I mean, it's already, in my opinion, the greatest championship we've ever seen in NBA history. I mean, it cemented his legacy as a top three player all time. It was the greatest basketball team we've ever seen, and he beat them with a very flawed basketball team. But if he does that dunk, I mean, that's the greatest dunk in NBA history, and he already has the greatest block in NBA history like two seconds earlier. And and Draymond Green becomes the new Brandon Knight, and he's on the Suns right now. Like, it would be real bad. Yeah, yeah, it's a different timeline, to be sure. Uh, So this Chris Paul Homers thing. Uh, Chris Paul in the TNT walk-off interview called jazz fans complete homers. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of the, th- I think the third time he said something like that uh, over the last couple of weeks. And uh, kind of the longer quote when he uh, earlier, earlier in the week, he said, they've got true homers there. Uh, Paul said, usually when we travel, we might see a few fans, but everybody there is for Utah. You are very rarely going to see a Clippers jersey in there. It's a cool environment. They support their players and the players feed off that energy. He should sign with the Lakers. There's a ton of Lakers right. jerseys here yeah. when they there, come in there, town. There are four teams I've seen come through that you see a significant presence in. It. Cavs, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, Warriors, obviously. Lakers, it was Kobe's farewell. So, yeah. you know, maybe that's a bigger reason why. And the Spurs. The Spurs actually have I've yeah. seen a lot of Spurs fans here. Other than that, you do just pretty much see, like, you know, Trey Burke jerseys. And, <laughs> you know, it's not like a, you know, it's <laughs> a not lot a, of dedication. yeah, you see a lot of dedication in that respect. And, I thought it was insane that his comments got twisted. Yeah. Because uh, uh, what's funny is like, this is a very internet culture reaction of, he called us homers. Well, that I get called that as an insult on, on the internet, yeah, right? Like, yeah. that's what it is. Like, if he had said, oh, they got a bunch of stands there. Like, that would have been like the ultimate internet, you know, yeah. term for it. But to me, I took it as, that's going to be an environment that that's going to be tough to play in. Like, I took it as a compliment, and I was just shocked to see the reaction. And I loved his answer when he was asked about it in the press conference after to clarify where he was just like, you've got to be kidding me. Right. Like, that was a compliment. He doesn't know what the word homers means, which right. is fair. Chris right. Paul yeah, doesn't know what that word doesn't. means. No, it's like, it has a connotation that he doesn't realize. And right? that's yeah. Chris's fault. Uh, sure. Second of all, he's never played in great NBA cities. Maybe I'm wrong. I've never been in New Orleans. Uh, it is not an well, NBA and, city. Okay, <laughs> I hate to say it. Like, he was there during Hurricane Katrina. Like, right. people had bigger problems. Yeah. And they had a good football team at the time, so there was reasons why they weren't right. at the top tier uh, when he was in New Orleans. And then the Clippers are, you know, the third, fourth number. Four, I mean, they're the 10th team in Los Angeles that people want to see. Right. And they're the number two NBA team in their own arena. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. That's really bad, unfortunately, for Chris Paul. Uh, Even with their record, you know, like people. There hasn't been ton- a switch at all. No. There, I mean, I get that the Clippers have sold out whatever two hundred straight games. Sure, but that's that, easy to do in LA. Yeah, but in terms of in terms of atmosphere, in terms of like what they're selling those tickets for, in terms of how many Clippers fans I, there are versus I Lakers think fans, Jazz playoff tickets have been more expensive than the Clippers playoff tickets. They have right? been. I I had a I had talked to somebody uh, who 
wasn't able to come to game one of, of the of the playoffs in L.A., and so he actually had to sell his tickets. He sold them for a loss. That's crazy. I talked to another fan who got uh, upper bowl season ticket, or, or an upper bowl ticket these, for game two. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. I talked to another fan who got an upper bowl ticket for twenty seven dollars. Yeah, in L A. Like that's, right. that's that's crazy because I just I'm a huge Chris Paul guy. So like I see the chance to watch Chris Paul play a basketball game live. I'm like, oh, but right. they have like a great beach. Do- like that's the right. problem yeah, with those cities. Thing. They have an awesome beach, right. and they've got a person named Mike Trout who lives in their area, <laughs> and 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 gold Laker uniforms that are fun to look at. Right. I, I get why the Clippers can't draw. Yeah, I kind of do, but I mean, you would think. But here's the thing, too, is that it is very much like it's been Lakers for so long and the Clippers were such a joke mm-hmm. that the Clippers could win the championship this year and the reaction that city would be, yeah. well, the Lakers have 15 more championships. Yeah. Yep. No, that's I mean, that's, that's what it would be. The weird thing about when I was in New Orleans and trying to like put together this, this feature that I wrote was at, like talking to local people. And I was like, oh, so, you know, obviously Saints are number one here. And they're like, yeah, and then LSU, you know, football. I was like, oh, right, LSU football, like that's pretty close. Yeah. Like, but then, you know, Pelicans must. And they're like, well, LSU baseball is pretty popular. I was like, LSU <laughs> baseball? Like college baseball yeah. is more popular than the Pelicans. Uh, did you guys see Joe John? I, if you, I'm sure you've seen a bunch of highlights if you're a Jazz fan of the Joe Johnson game winner. There's one guy on the front row <laughs> on the baseline who's like violently celebrating that the Jazz won. And I went back and watched the game. And he's sitting with James Goldstein, with Jimmy Goldstein, yeah. who's the weird, if you don't know him, yeah. he's the guy who dresses so weird, who goes to every Lakers game. They were there together. And that guy was going crazy for the Jazz winning, like thrilled. Yeah. So you realize, like, oh, even the fans that sit on the, even the celebrities are there aren't right. rooting for the Clippers. No. They're just there to be there. Right. They're, they're there because, like, oh, I get to go to a playoff game for probably a fifth of what it would <laughs> normally be in this building. Also, the Jazz have a rich history of feeling slighted. Yeah. From, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they got mad at Rick Buecher when he said there were a bunch of angry Mormons in sure. Utah. They got mad at Derek Fisher for, like, the craziest circumstances. <laughs> right. They got mad at an adult who has children. Yeah. But they took a flight to it and it worked. A medical problem, right? Right, right. All right, and maybe he finessed the situation a little bit. But child still had a medical problem. And Derek Fish was terrible and had a bad contract. That was was the best thing that's ever happened. That was a bullet dodged. (laughs) Honestly, like that, because Jerry Sloan played Derek Fisher way too many minutes at, especially at the shooting guard, right? Like, it's he's too small. He's going to get driven by every time. And six one, right? Maybe. It was it was so that he opted out of that contract it was very good news for the Jazz. But anyway, uh, I agree with you guys. I you know I I was in L.A. for these first two games and just the crowd was dead. I mean, there's yeah. just no uh, uh, there's no passion. There's no like continual uh, push by the crowd towards the team in any way. It's just like you know if if a lob happens, people get excited. But other than that, you know people are there to be seen. You, you know you you see like. Uh, the jumbotron begging people to put on the T-shirts that they gave out. You know, it's just like, just <laughs> it's what a horrible yeah, thing to right, have to do, right. right? And and the funny thing is, like, those people. If if this were a different culture, a different society, some people were having were not putting on their T-shirts, so they would get on the jumbotron, telling them to put their right. T-shirts on. This right? was a, like, this was a discovery moment of oh I can get seen. I can yeah exactly. I I can get my attention. There's this some way. producer in this building who will yeah. see my beautiful face. Have to put on a T-shirt. <laughs> and everyone just like hammed it up for the camera oh, once. Sure. It was just it, it so, was really. But bad. did the Jazz do Homer's T-shirts now? I mean, isn't that the ideal I thing did, you do? I did see like do Homer's I, T-shirts. I, I did see yeah. some people saying like oh we should have Homer signs, Homer Simpson signs, and donuts. Why and not? Stuff. I was like, absolutely. Right. Oh yeah. Yes. Oh, I I think it's ridiculous to. 
be slighted by it. I think it would also be a missed opportunity not to play it up, yes. right? Like as a crowd, like to have fun with it. Like hey, that's the point. Draymond Green finds any edge he can to be mad at somebody. He like his mom texts him right. before games about like, did you see that? You <laughs> know, Quinn a Snyder contributor said? at KSL.com <laughs> said you're not as good as you think you are. And he'll be like, I'm crazy now. Right. I have a triple double. <laughs> okay, so do that. If, I mean, Chris Paul actually kind of said something that was borderline controversial again because he didn't understand the definition of right. a word or the connotation that comes along with it. Use that as an edge. If you can get an edge mentally over a yeah. team that lacks an edge, do it. Absolutely. What I mean, it, the the Clippers home games are like it's like going to a tennis match. Yeah. Like there's really just not a lot of cheering. Yeah, and you know there are people there. There's exact. There's just yeah. there's not. They don't care a whole lot. Right. Um. Yeah, it was it's very much like a mid-level regular season game from a yeah. crowd perspective. What's your guys' favorite crowd interaction moment ever where you know a crowd is sending energy or is doing something goofy for for a team? Do you have e- something in mind? Easy answer, baby races. Okay. The baby Just, baby races get me every time and the crowd cheers them on and sometimes it makes the kids cry. I'm into the whole the whole production. I know that's not a basketball answer, but that's my favorite. Okay. One. Um I was going to say Maybe my answer is when. Do you remember when Kobe did the white hot fashion uh, yeah. magazine photo shoot, and the the Jazz were playing him in the playoffs at that time, and so uh, they brought I don't know whatever everyone brought their like white Kobe hats and sure. uh, dressed up and uh, right. signs and everything else. I thought that was pretty great. Uh, I'm pro if you're I'm, under eight years old and you're like. Game four for the Pacers, I want a seven-year-old to go out and hug Paul George while sure. he's shooting a free throw. Right. Like, that's the best moment that happens They're in They're not going to arrest a kid. Someone randomly <laughs> did it for Justice Winslow this year, which okay. was weird. <laughs> but, but I remember someone did it for Barkley, I think, when that's he was leaving Philly, and everyone bar. knew he yeah. was leaving Philly, or maybe it was even in Phoenix. But, I mean, obviously, never let people on the floor. Right. But a six-year-old running and hugging his that, favorite athlete is a cool thing. That kid, that kid, uh, teenager in Cleveland, yeah. like, had the LeBron come back in 2014. It worked! He brought LeBron back to the city. I'm sure that's the reason he came back to that's Cleveland. A great point. No doubt. More fans should be on the court. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everything Security should be treated like an and so one mixtape tour where fans are just running on the court at all times. Yeah, if anything cool happens, just everyone, yeah, everyone converges. Everyone on the court. Tear the goalpost I, down. I am definitely pro tearing the goalpost down. I am definitely pro going onto the field after after big wins. You pro like father and son duos beating up a third base coach <laughs> yeah. in a baseball oh, game. <laughs> nothing brings a family closer together. <laughs> Than spending time in prison. <laughs> yeah, than spending time in the jail cell. We were incarcerated <laughs> together. It was amazing. Uh, here's one thing, though. This is a two-way street, and this is something that will be pointed to if it happens, whether or not it played a huge role or not. If Gordon Hayward signs with Boston, he will at some point bring up the fact that his, the, the Boston fans were cheering for him in Boston in a game when he was playing great. Yeah. He will bring that up. Now, he won't say that's the reason they did it, but he will say it was nice to feel appreciated. And Jay Crowder will have to leave the team. Well, they'll trade Jay but, Crowder. Or, yeah. yeah, or he'll be tried for murder or something. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> wow, what if they really arrest that six-year-old that goes out and, pu- and like throw him in juvie, the kid that hugs Paul George in game four? That's a, that's a real... Our justice harsh. system is blind. It it is. Black and white. I want to know. I want that kid in prison. <laughs> what a turn this kid's life is taking. Dad's like, hey, maybe we might this keep Paul cute. George yeah. if you go hug him. It'll be cute. It'll be on SportsCenter. And the kid's like just... I heard it on the Salt City Hoop show. Yeah, nine years of juvie. Uh, the Jazz will have a decided advantage, though, because of the crowd and the altitude. I mean, this, this How- place is going to be... It's five years of pent-up... Anger of not yeah. making the playoffs yeah. and angst over Rudy not playing and angst over losing Hayward. This crowd is going to be insane tomorrow night. Where do you think that comes in? Where do you think that helps most? 
to open the game. Again, I know you had talked about where so far the Clippers have come into Salt Lake and blown the Jazz out twice. I would be stunned if that happens tomorrow it's, because there is so much love for this team here in Salt Lake. And then late in the third quarter when games are always close and you need a little push, and it's where the Jazz won game one because Gordon Hayward was brilliant. His best streak so far in the season, or I should say in the series, has been at the end of game, end of third quarter mm-hmm. in game one where he had six or eight points in a row in yeah. a game where the Jazz felt like it was slipping away. They had been up eight. Then they were down two, and then Gordon Hayward kept them tied, I think, going into the yeah. fourth quarter. That stretch, for some reason, the end of the third quarter, there's just magic in that arena, and you'll see it again tomorrow night. I think the biggest advantage it gives you is um, defensive communication for the Clippers. Hmm. Like that, that really will make communicating, you know, pick coverages, angles to take on screens, where to funnel the ball, everything, all that stuff that they communicate throughout a defensive possession over and over and over, it just makes it harder. I think it was so interesting that Rudy Gobert, when he was on defense a couple times this season, actually told the crowd to quiet down yeah, when right. he was on defense, so we, you know, people could hear those communications. Um, and I wonder if that didn't have something to do with the Jazz's problems with uh, defense, really, in, in clutch moments last Maybe. year. Maybe you know you get into a loud crowd situation, and, and I think the Jazz's defense does rely a lot on communication. All of a sudden someone misses a rotation or whatever, someone plays a pick incorrectly and you get you get an easy look. The Jazz were 27th last year on defense in those clutch situations. Maybe because of that, uh, you know, maybe the crowd has something to do with that. I don't know. It's also, a, it's a theory. young guy sightlines, meaning like Rodney Hood has taken, what, 300 threes in a Jazz uniform in the, it, it, on that hoop yeah. or more, you know, versus how many has he taken in Los Angeles ever in his life? So right. few. Right. Very rarely has he 20. taken that. Yeah, 20. So just that that thing, knowing that the crowd is at his back, knowing that if he misses a shot, the crowd will still have his back. He's not going to lose the Jazz a series. I think that, that stuff helps, and I think it will help the Jazz. Uh, I also think Doc Rivers may have to take more timeouts, right? You know, he sure. has to take some momentum-stopping timeouts, which may leave him with fewer in the end if, you know, if it's a close game. Again, these are kind of small things, but I think you know, they I mean, really you saw know. that with, the, with Quinn Snyder of a little bit in game yeah. two, like, you know, having to use timeouts probably when he didn't want to. Yeah. And that affects the way you manage the rest of the game. 100%. But small things, these are two games that have been decided by a total of 10 points. Right. So small things at the end of a game are enormous. I mean, yeah. if it's going to be a buzzer beater or a game winner and you're going to be in that opportunity, and this is not the last time we've seen that situation in this series, you get an edge because you got a good foul or, or because of the crowd or whatever. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a difference maker, and I think the Jazz fans can, can provide that tomorrow. Again, uh, Rudy Gobert, Alec Burks are out for Game 3 because of their injuries. Austin Rivers is for the Clippers. Uh, Derek Favors has been kind of fatigued in this series. I think it's fair to say that you know he didn't come in expecting to play 30, 35 minutes right. per game. Uh, is there anything that he can do to kind of fight through that or to get be more impactful maybe at the end of games than he has been? Or uh, is there, you know, is that just what the Jazz are going to have to live with for the time being? Yeah, I think you just you just have to, you know, Will your way through it, you know. I mean, that's a very you know coach speak that's kind of answer. But what I, he said I, too. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that there's a whole lot you can do. It's not like you can rest harder when you're on the bench or anything. You know, like it's not. I mean, maybe give him a massage at halftime or something. Like I don't know. I, I don't yeah. know how you. Uh, I don't know how you do it. Drink extra coffee or or whatever. But you've ha- You know, you kind of just have to deal with it. Nice thing is being at altitude now where he's used to playing those other two guys, DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin, will fatigue maybe up to his level or sure. closer to his level. And yeah, that gives him advantage point. of closing that gap. And that could be beneficial for Derek Favors. On a really dark note, I mean, the stuff, not to dive too deep into the stuff that happened with Jeff Withy today, where he's been accused of sexual, or uh, I should say domestic violence, not sexual assault, but domestic violence by his ex-fiance. Yeah. Do the Jazz hesitate to play Jeff Withy because of this doom and gloom that's hanging over him? 
right or not. And, and if so, if you're not going to play him, okay, that puts more fatigue on Favors because Withy has come in and played a couple of important minutes for the Jazz. They may, uh, you know, he was so, he was pretty bad, I thought, for the first two months of the season. Uh, Jeff Withy was, and I wondered if that had something to do with this tumultuous personal situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't want to blame poor play on the right. woman involved, right? Like, that's, that's, Sure. Not the that's, that's not insane, a right. right. <laughs> yeah. Um. But I, you know, I wonder if you you put him out there for a few minutes, and if his head clearly isn't right, you know, understandably so, then you you go with another option, whether that be Boris Diaw at center, yeah. or you go Joe Ballonboy, whatever that. I mean, that it, looks like. it might be a thing where you treat him like you would Dante Exum in the respect of like Dante Exum goes under a pick when you've talked to him during shoot around of like going over a pick, and then you bring him right to the bench, and be like, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, like it's a quick it's a quick hook. I don't think you. You waste a couple of minutes seeing if he can do it. I think it's a couple of possessions. You'll know right away how engaged he is in the game and and how effective he can be. He, I think he was okay when he first came in in game one. I thought he was pretty bad the rest of his very minimal playing time. Um, so I don't, I don't know how much you're looking to him to be a difference maker other than if you go to Hacka Jordan, right? I would be stunned if we see Ball and Boy in this series, though. I've seen that a lot on Twitter. Like, go to Joel. Well, yeah. he came into one game where the Jazz were down by 20 to the Clippers and the or to the, the Thunder, and the Jazz closed that gap while he was on sure. the floor, but I don't think he was the one that closed that gap. Exum randomly had 20 points in the game. It was the best game right. of his career, probably. He's had some fun games. He played well when Favors was out or, or, or late in the, uh, the what, second-to-last yeah. game of the season against the Warriors. He had a fun dunk. And he's a, he's an energy guy. I actually thought Matt Harpring's comparison that there's a little bit of the worm there. There's a little bit of Dennis Rodman, which is, yeah, he's so wild. He's different. He's on a different right. wavelength than everyone else out there, and that allows you to do certain things. Lance Stevenson is kind of that guy. He's just on a different wavelength than every other human, Ron Artest. Yeah. So it allows you to get places where other guys maybe aren't thinking, but I don't think you put him in in a playoff series. Maybe it ends up working out. I think that is... A, a huge disaster baby. written yeah. all over it. Yeah, uh, just because I mean he is a guy. He has zero experience in this league, right? Like just right. zero experience. And I think even to throw him out there against Maurice Spates, I think Spates would eat him alive. Eat him alive. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I don't think he could pop out to defend on the perimeter well no. enough. Uh, and he is legitimately bad at like screen setting and and setting his feet and right. you know switching picks and all these little things that actually do make a difference. I think you would probably see the offense stall a little bit while he was on the court. Now, you know. Maybe it would have anyway, right? You right. Know, it's it's not like Jeff Withy again is is a world beater in terms right. of what but he brings he, to but you. He on just, offense, he but he just he knows how to play. He has enough experience to know what his role is. I don't think Joel Ballenboy has enough experience to know what he's being asked to do on the court consistently, possession by possession. Yeah. And even Jeff Withy, I mean, as soon as he checks into the game, they attack him first possession oh, down. Yeah, I mean, right, they go right at him point. on a pick and roll. Right. You, what do you think they're going to do to Ballenboy? Yeah. I mean, they will just over and over and over and. Then, Quinn Snyder knows that. He's and, not going to say, put, well, just throw him to the wolves, right, whatever. You're not putting him out there against Blake Griffin and Chris Paul, right? No, like right. that. You're not talking about that there. But, I mean, it, it just see, I to pull a super current reference that everyone will get, there is a scene in Sunset Park, the movie with Rhea Perlman where she's coaching high school basketball, where, like, this crazy guy comes in and he's the energy guy and he may, he sparks all this run. That's not going to happen in the NBA. Right. This isn't a movie. Like, he's... He'll probably get picked Rhea apart. Rhea Perlman is a basketball coach? I believe so. Yeah, I believe it's, it's like Rhea Perlman. A it's, prequel to Whoopi or, a, or what, Eddie? <laughs> I think this was post-Eddie, but definitely pre-Coach Carter. So huh. there's a lot going on. Look for her. Sunset Park. Look it up. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Not actually that good. I would go watch it like Above the Rim or something. Okay. But that's way better. One other little injury note, you know, George Hill's not at 100% either. We talked about that, and we've talked about how he's 
uh, not doing the best in terms of staying attached to Chris Paul in the pick and roll. Is there anything where he can make an adjustment or play better in, in order to be able to do that, or is it is it? I think it's just communication with screens, right? Yeah. Like between him and the big man um, covering. Like it's just knowing, calling it out early, and him, lo- you know, loading up what his decision is going to be on how to play it and getting there first. Like I think that's the best. I mean, against Chris Paul, that's what you can hope for. Yeah. Yeah. I don't hate him going under more screens, Chris uh, George Hill, just because I think sometimes he's trailing or it hits the screen and ends up out of the play. And he has the length to kind of make up for it on the shot, right? right? Like not to where you feel great about him going under against Chris Paul all the time, but Chris Paul is also very deliberate and he may not take that shot all the time. Yeah. Uh, and I, I also think I could also see the Jazz doing a little bit more switching than they have. And that means, you know, Chris Paul gets ISO'd on Derek Favors and or Blake Griffin down low against George Hill. But again, it may still be better than they, a lob down low. Which might be why you go back to what we had said, which is put the bigger defender on the point guard. Yeah. Which is put Joe Ingles or Gordon Hayward out there because if you get a switch with with uh, uh, Blake Griffin down low, well, Blake Griffin, has, he's got as bad a footwork as I've ever seen from a dominant NBA. It's so right. weird. Yeah. Like, he weird. trips he, himself. He has so many skills except for knowing how to like drop step. Yeah. He, he trips himself, and then, like, his other go-to move is just, like, lower your head and, like, put it directly in the chest of yeah. whoever you're... Right, it looks like a, he's, like, a fullback trying to block. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's what it ends up being, right. except he has a basketball in his hands. Yeah. It's weird. He's good sweeping across the lane. Yeah. He can hit a little hook shot, or he can lay it in, or he can dunk on you. But when he tries to get crafty, it's, what? why yeah. are you doing that? Right. You're faster and stronger than the guy who's guarding you. Why are you trying to use tactics to get past him? You right. don't need to do either. You can use speed or, or brute strength. Uh, but yeah, so put a bigger guy on him and make him think like, ooh, post, it's uh, Blake Griffin post-up time because he seems to embrace that idea and he's yeah. not right. who he is. All right, we got to take a break. On the other side, we've got all these other playoff series to talk about, seven other playoff series. Um, what's going on around the league? We'll talk about that next on the here on the Salt City Hoop Show, right here on ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. Andy Larson, Zach Harper, Ben Anderson with you. Uh, let's go around the league and talk about these first-round matchups, seven other matchups besides the Jazz Clippers that we, we want to get to at least briefly in this segment. First of all, it's the most surprising outcome of the first round. It's the Boston Celtics down 2-0 to the Chicago Bulls, the eight seed. That Bulls team sucks, too. Yeah. Like, they're really not good other they than Jimmy Butler. They haven't impressed me like, no. really at all in these first two games. No, it's just Boston's playing that poorly. Not to pat ourselves on the back, though. This is the one we said if there's a dangerous right. seed here, that if there's a big upset, not a 4-5 or a, a 6-3, we said it was the Celtics and the Bulls. Yeah. We said mm-hmm. there is room for that with the exception of Fred Hoiberg. And I, we were wrong. Like, Hoiberg's actually been okay. Yeah, he's actually and, been fine, right? So that, that hasn't been the biggest deterrent in that series. The deterrent is that Isaiah Thomas isn't six feet tall and right. they don't have a star. Right. That's been the biggest and, issue for and them. And they just can't rebound. Yeah. I mean, they cannot end possessions. Like, Robin Lopez is destroying them. And, like, all of these problems have actually been problems all season long, yeah. right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe, not, maybe not the Isaiah Thomas one, because Isaiah Thomas has figured out a way to score versus right. most, most teams. But um, I think a lot of people felt he would struggle in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, he, he did the last two years. And, and this year, I mean, he's shooting okay, but I wouldn't say he's playing all that well. And again, to go back to the Dennis Lindsay, Adrian Wojnarowski podcast that they did, which is good. You should listen to it if you haven't. It, it's it's insightful for the Jazz. Yeah. He said some of the things the Jazz looked at of what wins in the playoffs is low post defense and a wing score. Well, they've got two wing scores in Jimmy Butler and Dwayne Wade, and they've got Robin Lopez, who's great. Yeah. He's just a really good player. He's yeah. not a top five center, but every single team in the NBA is thrilled if you have Robin Lopez on your roster. Yeah, I, mean, they, I think through the first two games, they're rebounding like 42%. 
of their offensive mm. rebound and chances, which is an insane level of offensive rebounding rate. Yeah, it doesn't give the other team a chance to have possessions to win no. games. Um, do you think that they, the Bulls do end up winning the series? It would not shock me if we went back to Boston 2-2. I mean, this Bulls yeah. team, like, just they, they just get in their own way so much. Yeah. And, I mean, are we going to see Rajon Rondo play another game like that in his career, let alone this series? I, don't, I mean, that seems unlikely. Yeah, uh, good thing question. is they have a guy, and we talked about this a little bit with Derek Fisher and why you don't play Derek Fisher because he's not a good basketball player. There is something about having guys who have won a lot that are calming influences on your team. And Dwayne Wade is not only that, but he's good. Yeah, He's yeah. not only a, a good calming influence who knows how to win series. Who He did it before LeBron got there. He won a right. championship before LeBron got there. So he knew how to do that with Shaq, and now he knows how to do it without LeBron with Jimmy Butler, who's right. really good. And yeah. they've got a star. And that's, again... The, who has the best player on the floor? There's no question it's the Bulls. Right. And sometimes that's, I mean, you guys and, have played pickup basketball. Yeah. The team that has the best player wins. But, and and he, that, that goes up to the top still. And their best player is guarding Isaiah Thomas. Yeah. Who, he's a foot taller than Isaiah Thomas. Yeah. Like, that's just, he's, he's quick enough to stay with him. He's strong enough not to get bodied by him. And, and you see real problems at the end of these games that, the Isaiah Thomas can't really do a whole lot because they can't get him open for good shots. And they're bad defensively. Yeah. They're just not, they don't have, they have some okay pieces. Right. Like they, Avery Bradley, fantastic defender. Right. Marcus Smart, fantastic, fantastic defender. Jay Crowder slipped a little bit, but still a very good defender. How tall are those guys? Who's the tallest there? Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder's like 6'5". Six 6'5". Five. Six five. Yeah. Hey, you got to have a low post defender. And everyone said that about the Celtics. Right. And, and like, I was thinking Jeff Withy was a prime candidate to end up there. Oh, White for guy? Absolutely. Yeah, the Steamsma <laughs> 2.0. Like, right. go get him. Uh, I thought he's a rim protector at least a little bit. At least he pretends to be. Yeah. He can block shots. He was great at Kansas. Go get that guy. And the Jazz will give him to you for the right price. Right. And they didn't. And it's come back to bite him. I mean, we've gotten to a point where they take Amir Johnson off the floor. I'm like, uh-oh. Yeah. I mean, Amir Johnson, not yeah. that good. Right. He's fine, but he's, I mean, he can't be the crux of your defense. Right. Uh, Cavs are now up 3-0 on the Pacers. Uh, we've talked a little bit about that series tr- throughout the show just because it's been on, on TV while we've been uh, right. talking. But, uh, you know, LeBron is really good. The Cavs still can't defend worth a lick. No, but they won't have to for, you know, maybe another month. Okay. Like, and they just won't. I, I don't believe there is a switch to be flipped. I don't think that's yeah. really a thing. But they have plenty of time to build. And if you do believe in the switch theory, it flipped in the third quarter when they were down by 26 right. points and came back and won the game. That's a switch flipping Fair. where you didn't play at all in the first half. You gave up 70 points and you won the game yeah. kind of with ease at the end. They yeah. weren't having to be free throws at the end. perfect right. down the stretch to win. Like Darren Williams closed the game as the point guard. Yeah. Uh, okay. Like the, they're just better. Uh, uh, but the reason this is interesting is we've really kind of followed the Pacers quite a bit since Paul George was drafted 10 and Hayward was drafted 9. Well, Paul George is probably going to leave, if not the same offseason that Gordon Hayward leaves the Jazz, but before. You know, they they kind of had these right. similar careers where at least one of them made the, the, the conference finals, and that was Paul George, but they never got beyond that. Uh, Raptors and Bucks are tied at 1-1. It's been a weird series, uh, and, you know, I, I think Milwaukee's kind of uh, outsized expectations. Again, it's the best player thing with Giannis Antetokounmpo outplaying the rest of the, the the Raptors. Is this game close now? Or? No, they're down 29. Oh, it's 95 to 64 in the fourth quarter <laughs> for Milwaukee? Right, yes. Milwaukee, I told you guys, this was the team I trusted the least in right. the playoffs because they were inexperienced because I was, I'm not out on Giannis, who's out on Giannis, right. but I just didn't know if he was quiet at that point where he's not a three-point shooter, if he could carry you. And he has carried them, and he's been incredible. And I, if they win this game, Toronto always loses game one. We know right. that's like kind of the funny thing. And then P.J. Tucker said, that's not funny. Like, don't do that. That's not a funny thing to do. Don't lose that. And they did. It's too late now. And 
now they're going to be down 2-1, knowing they still have to play another game in Milwaukee. Yeah. And Milwaukee believes in themselves now. Again, a dumb team that has no reason to not believe why they can't win it. 72 it, points for the Raptors. And, I mean, once again, like these first-round struggles for Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan, I'm sure there are plenty of reasonable, you know, instances of, of why they have struggled so much. Like, DeMar DeRozan's 0 for 8 tonight. You know, Kyle Lowry was has been for pretty, eight, that's it? pretty bad. Wow. Uh, well, he's gotten to the free throw line eight times. So, Still. you know, taking some possessions and getting points. But um, these guys struggle in the first round. For whatever reason it is, they struggle in the first round. And at a certain point, like, I just – you can't trust it, right? Like, we talked about – and I agreed with you. Like, when we talked about this Bucks raptor series, of like, I don't know how you trust the Bucks because of Delhi. Know, all those – Well, they got Delhi. So right? gonna all Delhi does is win playoff games. Yeah. But uh, but I don't know how you trust these two stars for the Raptors. Yeah, fair point. And I think that the Raptors' uh, weaknesses are not well matched for the the Milwaukee Bucks' weaknesses, if that makes sense. Right. Uh, Washington Wizards versus the Atlanta Hawks. The Wizards lead that series two zero after two wins at home. They look good so far. Yeah, I mean they uh, they got a little lucky in game two because Atlanta shot the ball so poorly from three. I think they were like four of twenty or four of twenty one, something like that. Um, but Again, best player in the series is John Wall, and he when he like he seems offended that Dennis Schroeder is is defending him. Yep, yeah, like absolutely offended at the idea. Uh, there, are nothing I will s- repeat on the air, but a couple of great, yeah, great little internet videos of him yeah. dunking on Dennis and then having something to say to him. Who, that, do, you, uh, who do you think you are? Essentially, is what yeah, he said. yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and it's, I mean, he's just dominant. He's dominant. I, I didn't realize the Wizards had gotten to this point. Honestly, I'll just say my own ignorance. I did not see the Wizards getting to this point where they're a legit contender to come out of the East now. I mean, yeah. I, I believe that they have an opportunity to do it. And a huge part of that is that Beal has kind of finally become Bradley Beal, who everyone hoped he would yeah. be coming out of Florida, yeah. that maybe he is that next, not Ray Allen, but, you know, that, right. that, that really good supporting player. And he's gotten there. Yeah. The Hawks probably went to Schroeder too soon as like a, a starting point guard. Yeah, I, but I mean, if you feel like, Torian Prince is going to be a valuable role player for you moving forward, which he may be. Like he's fine, yeah. you know. Like and he checks a lot of boxes for what you would want a role player to be in today's NBA. Um, not having to pay Jeff Teague and getting yeah. and getting that guy then, like I think it. I think it's a loss now. It might end up being a win in the long term. But yeah, Dennis Schroeder is. I don't know. Like, is he a top 15 point guard in this league? Probably not. Hawks have played that game too much, though. That, hey, let's not pay that guy. Right. Because that's well, what they did with uh, Damari Carroll. Like, yeah. hey, let's not pay that guy. And let's go get Torian Prince. But, well, okay. Like, you got to pay somebody eventually. You can't not pay people right. and think you're going to keep getting by. You're just going to, eventually, you're going to have to pay somebody. So why not pay the guy a season ago and still have a good basketball <laughs> they team? Paid, they paid Bays. They paid Bays more. Yeah. Uh, Warriors and way Blazers. More. <laughs> they, paid, they paid him way more. <laughs> Warriors Blazers is pretty much gone as we expected so far. Yeah, JaVale uh, McGee's dominating, uh, yeah. just as we all expect. Exactly. Uh, 2-0 series lead. Clippers, or sorry, the, the Warriors won the first uh, game two, sorry, by 29. Um, held Damian Lillard to 12 points. They're just good both offensively and defensively, and the Blazers are a pretty flawed team. And the Blazers, I mean, they're playing, they have a rotation right now essentially of uh, Noah Vonley, Myers Leonard, Al Farouk Aminu, and Mo Harkless playing center. Like you just yeah you can't get by on that no in any way uh that I mean there's two teams I'd love to see combined which is the Hawks and the and Ooh, the, the Blazers that would be fun like, put those teams get, get that okay. backcourt there would be fun to watch uh, in Atlanta with with a guy like Paul Millsap uh, that's a team that's got to start over there's a couple teams in the East now where the Wizards have jumped up Milwaukee's about to jump up uh Cavs are not going to stop being good as long as LeBron right. is there you're going to have to really figure out if you can retool I think Miami might potentially be good again because. Sure. 
Uh, Pat Riley's a good team builder, and they've got a good coach in Spolstra. There's going to be a few teams. Atlanta's one of them. Indiana's certainly one of them that says, we got to start over. And I think those are. Well, I think we're seeing that in these series. And Atlanta was going to in this season. Yeah. Like, they traded yeah. Kyle Korver, and then all of a sudden, Mike Budenholzer was like, I don't really think we should trade Ball Millsap. I want to coach this team to the playoffs. And so they, they reverse course after reversing course. Yeah. And you, can't, you just can't have a team as indecisive in that way. Yeah. Uh, Spurs also to form so far, beating the Grizzlies 2-0. Um, Memphis, an identical 82 points in both of those games. That's yeah. not enough to win games. Um, you know, they're, they're hanging in there right now. They're leading 42-41 in the first half, but they've, they were competitive at certain points in both games, um, right. but in, and eventually the Spurs just break you. How do you feel about David Fisdale's rant? Love it. Love yeah, it. I, I mean, what what a great way to to show your team you care that you're willing to like. He knew he was getting a fine, right? Mm-hmm. And to and he told them at the beginning of the season, like, I will always stick up for you. I will, and that stuff matters. Like, what that matters to players, whether it ends up meaning anything in this series, probably not because the Spurs are just that much better. But he has those guys' respect. Like, he doesn't have to worry about losing their respect, losing the focus or in any way like he has those guys we talked about it would Quinn Snyder be a guy who's willing to get that technical foul right. to buy his team a foul the next trip down the floor this is a much more blown up version of that because the technical foul is 2,500 bucks or whatever and this right. was $30,000 <laughs> but he did it I mean he yeah. went out to try and give his team a chance in game three and to get his players to say hey he's got my back I need to go out and do what he's asking me to do it's kind of what the Jazz had in mind when Dennis Lindsay went on the Woj podcast exactly. right sure. and uh, you know I don't know that that's worked out in any sort of measurable way but you know maybe we'll see something change as a result Although, of the playoffs so far in this game 13 free throws for the Spurs 4 for Memphis ooh it's real. Refs fighting back. <laughs> uh, uh, I, and let me say this. There hasn't been a reason, I think, at any point in the Jazz series with the Clippers for Quinn to go get a technical foul. Right. He would have right. wasted it if he would have done it in game one or game two. Yeah, honestly, the referees were very good in game one, uh, which is actually the same crew that Fisdale complained about, the Danny Crawford, yeah. uh, Rodney Danny Crawford's Mott crew. great. Yeah. Uh, and then game two I thought was a little bit iffy, except maybe in favor of the Jazz, where Chris Paul picks up his third foul at the end of the first half. Yep. Um, that helped the Jazz. Yeah. Uh, a couple other little ticky-tack things where I, you know, I didn't think they were the right call, but I, I don't think it was like biased towards the Clippers by any means. Right. It's just bad officiating. It's not right. one-sided. There's been one blatantly missed call against the Jazz, and that was the Gordon Hayward three coming off the screen where right. clearly he'd been grabbed. But right. okay, you're talking about one play in 96 minutes or whatever it is so far. That's good. You'll yeah. take that. Yeah, uh, and then Rockets Thunder, the the matchup of the MVP candidates. Oh, what uh, a what a, an experience last. That night. was weird. Yeah. That was <laughs> really weird. The full Westbrook experience. It really was like he was so good for three quarters, yeah. and and I wrote about. I said he went full tin cup. Like he really goes just like nope. I'm taking my drop right here. I'm gonna win this game with a seven iron. Like whatever. Mm-hmm. Like he he just went so hard in his own favor. Uh, of trying to dominate that fourth quarter, and it was a disaster. Whichever side of the MVP debate you're on, and it's come down to two guys. Let's forget about Kawhi and LeBron, sure. as good as they've been, but it's Harden or Westbrook. You got your case last night. Yeah. I mean, Harden was not great for the first couple of quarters. He was shooting really poorly, right. and then you look at his numbers. He ended with a great stat line at the end because he's just a great basketball player, and he gets everyone involved, and Russ had arguably the best statistical game we've ever seen in the playoffs. Right. And, and it's a huge reason why his team was shot out of the game in the fourth quarter. He was yeah, 13 I mean, of 25 going into the fourth quarter. He finished 17 of 43. 
Think about that. I mean, the 17 of 43 That's is not great. Is Kobe in <laughs> in game 82 sort of yeah. you know where you're you're an honorary kind of right. role player in that game. This is a playoff game where he scored 51 points, yes, but it went 17 of 43 Ooh. from the field, 2 for 11 from the three-point line. And still somehow ended up with 13 assists, right? He, like, he was so good in the first three quarters. Like, he dissected that Rockets defense perfectly, and he just went away from it. And he ended up with a plus 11, like, in, in a game. Oh, and his net rating four. was huge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it, he was right. He was, they needed him. They're not in that yeah. game without him. And I, I believe, and I'm a, I'm, an, I'm a Russ MVP guy personally, but... I don't know who they go to in the fourth quarter. Well, I mean, they had a couple instances where, like, whatever you want to think of him, Doug McDermott can shoot, yeah. and he was open, he was open, and Russ just didn't look at him. Right. And once the Rockets realized he wasn't passing. Sure. I mean, in, in the final five minutes, close game, the Thunder took 14 shots, Russ took 10 of them. A lot of worked. forced. And again, the 40 shots thing, that's a number that gets people crazy. Right. So today, you've seen it all over Twitter. If you've been watching, it was 31 years ago today. Michael had his 63 points right, against the clip uh, against the Celtics. He had 41 shots in that game. I mean, guys have been taking 40 shots to have these huge outputs. He didn't shoot his team out of it in the first overtime or the second right. overtime. <laughs> right. But 40 shots is not unheard of for guys that are high usage yeah. and, but, and rested it. So again, that was that was a double overtime game. Sure, and they lost it. And they lost it. Right. So I mean, the moral I, of the story is shoot a lot. I, Probably not going to win. Uh, maybe maybe Russ has a Michael Jordan phase of his career. He's sponsored up. by Jordan. Okay. Maybe this was just one big marketing ploy. I like it. Yeah, the, we're we're gonna be getting the the notifications on our phone twenty years from now. So right. remember when <laughs> Russ lost a fifty-one, ten, and thirteen game. Yeah. Anyway, all right, we got to take our break. Uh, we're gonna do our final segment of the show next. We're gonna give our game three predictions. What happens tomorrow at eight p.m. at Vivint Arena as the Jazz take on the Clippers? That's next on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN seven hundred. Spring football is completely over, but that doesn't mean we won't be covering or talking Utah football here on your home of the year. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. I just love the Jazz Brothers, so I'm going to let them play for a second. So great. Thurl Bailey. See, if, if back in a playoff groove was this good, yeah, why didn't they get Thurl out there? Why didn't they get Thurl out there? They tried to get Thurl out there. Thurl said, no, I have this record. I don't need anything else. It's like having a career right now. Keep It Sexy by the Jazz Brothers. Great song. Great. Uh, okay, so I wanted to ask you guys, because LeVar Ball uh, was recently called by a Nike executive, the worst thing to ever happen to basketball. Right. Well, the worst thing in a hundred years. Right, so whatever years, happened right. in so basketball was, has only existed for what a hundred and eight years. It's like eighteen ninety-six. Yeah. yeah. So okay, yeah. So we're one hundred twenty years. Yeah, the first twenty years. Some first bad, twenty years. Bad stuff happened. When did Doctor Naismith die? Like right. maybe his death was the worst thing that's happened to basketball. <laughs> well, it was Before the worst thing that's that, ever happened to basketball. In in the most recent hundred years, what's the worst thing that's happened to basketball in your guys' book? Oh, not to get heavy. I mean, this is a really dark way to end a show, but like the Magic Johnson AIDS thing was horrible. Like that was a horrible thing. Was that bad for you know for basketball as a yes, sport? Yes, because like Carl Malone came out and was like, "I'm not going to play with him." Yeah. Right. Come, oh my! Like if you want to set back a cultural issue that was already being set back by right. like the president at the time, <laughs> that goes that goes really deep. That was shocking. Not to get crazy here or so far away. 
Like, my kindergarten teacher sat our class down and talked about Magic Johnson having AIDS. Yep. Like, why would you talk to five-year-olds about it's, that? Uh, but that's how important it was right. and how important he was. For me, the dunk wheel. Ooh. <laughs> you're, you're, you're going the fun way. I'm, I'm, going, going, the, I'm going the way opposite way. People are going to lose sleep tonight because of what I said. <laughs> uh, definitely the dunk wheel. What a horrible thing to do to the dunk contest. Yeah, the dunk wheel, that was really had, bad. Like, all right, granted. Didn't turn out to be an amazing player by any means, but he was solid. Like Gerald Wallace, a young Gerald Wallace, mm-hmm. could do insane things dunking the ball, and you had him trying to do things that just weren't wasn't in his wheelhouse because it was in the wheels house. <laughs> I didn't intend you for that to, to happen. Ha- halfway through that, I thought, "All right, I'm just going to do this." <laughs> yeah, Birdman in the dunk contest. Birdman, yeah. right? Like, there's yeah, a couple of things. Nate there, Robinson. That's a good answer. I know he won three times, but the, it was insufferable. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, the Malice in the Palace was bad. Oh, the Malice in the Palace was Ooh, great. That was, yeah, argue, argue uh, on what was bad or great I about left that. a Kings, I think it was Kings-Lakers. I think I, I left a Kings-Lakers game early that night because my friend called me and said, there is a riot at the Pistons game. You have to watch I this. Was, and we just left and we went home and wa- and like he had recorded it and like we just watched it all I was night. just going to say, it's the only time I've had a friend call me to tell me something was going on in a basketball game. Right. He said, are you watching... <laughs> Are you watching the Pacers game right now? Because we were all Pistons fans because everyone was a Pistons fan in 2004 because everyone hated the Lakers and everyone wanted right. the Pistons to be that only opportunity you had to beat them. Uh, and then the, ne- what was the next season was next the actual. Season. Yeah. I mean, that Pacers team was good too. That yeah. was like a 64 win team. Like, they were great. Ron Artest used to be incredible. Oh, he was a top 10 player. People forget how good Jermaine O'Neal was. Yeah, Legit Jermaine MVP. Can't, like, he finished second, I think, or the top five in some MVP right. voting a couple mm-hmm. years. Yeah. And Reggie right. Miller. Uh, Game three of Jazz Clippers is tomorrow at 8 p.m. at Viventarina. Like we talked about earlier, the crowd is going to be crazy nuts, um, to use the technical term. Crazy nuts. Uh, <laughs> it's it's going to be it's going to be a great time. It's going to be a good game. The Clippers are favored actually in this game by one and a half points. Uh, Want to ask you guys what your prediction is for Game three and and how you kind of see it playing out? I think the Clippers win. Oh, I think the Clippers come out and execute. Um, I still think it goes away from here two two. But I think the I think the Clippers come out and they just it's a Chris Paul game. I think they get JJ Redick open and he has a big game. And um and I think I don't know maybe the Jazz wilt a little bit before the home crowd and just can't hit shots. I think Jazz win. I think and if the Jazz are going to win, this is their best chance to win because they have short rest. They come back on Sunday. They play Friday, Sunday. That's bad for Joe Johnson, as we've seen. We've looked at his numbers. He's coming off two days rest here. There's just so much pressure built up on this city. For five years, I'm not seeing a basketball game in, what, seven years since they won a game in the playoffs. So I think that's all going to come out and pour out. And Gordon Hayward hasn't played well yet in the series. He's played good. He has not played great. I think he's got a great game in him still. And I think they come back. I think they shoot well. I think there's a lot of players who aren't playing great on the Jazz. And I think the Clippers will be overwhelmed by the crowd, by the environment, by the Jazz playing well. And I think the Jazz get this win. And I'm not sure if they win Sunday. Yeah, I I I th- I agree with you guys. I think the most likely outcome is that the Jazz win only one of these two games at home. Right. Uh, and I do think it's game three is more likely than game four. Um, you mentioned the rest thing, and you know, of course, that was true for game two as well for Joe Johnson, and he didn't have a great game two. Uh, I believe he was six of fifteen from the field yep. and never got to the free throw line like Gordon Hayward did. Uh, but that being said, I, th- I think there is enough opportunity for certain Jazz role players to step up, start making shots, um, get into the rim, get into the paint a little bit more, attack the rim, and, and make easier opportunities for the team on offense. That's really been a problem in both of the games is that the Jazz haven't gotten a ton of easy looks um, in in 
those games, period. You know, I, both were kind of low-scoring affairs, and, and the Jazz like it that way. But I, I think with, with a home crowd behind them, with uh, just honestly better play from the guards, more shot-making, uh, better play from Gordon Hayward, you can see them actually put up a good point number that the, the Clippers are going to struggle to match. I think the Jazz win. I, and I, I won't be surprised if the Jazz go back to L.A. up 3-1. I and mean, that would not stun me at all. If the Jazz can win this next game, they're playing at home. The crowd's going to be pumped. Sunday's a little weird in Utah. And you yeah. might have a different crowd than you would usually have, but I don't think that means it's going to be less rowdy. It might mean it's more well, rowdy, yeah, right. but uh, I, I, th- I won't be stunned if the Jazz win the next two. But this has a this series does have the feeling of a real chess match, which is just back and forth and point and counterpoint with teams exchanging wins, and that could go through the first six. Yeah, I just don't think Chris Paul's going to get rattled. I don't think he's going to get rattled in, in these next two games, and, and he needs one guy to step up, and I think I think he'll get that, at least in one of them. Fair enough. All right, that does it for the Salt City Hoop Show. Uh, you can listen to us as a podcast using iTunes or Stitcher. Just do a search for Salt City Hoops Radio. Um, and, and, of course, you can check out our coverage on saltcityhoops.com, ksl.com, fanragsports.com. We're all Good over all. the internet. Check us out. Thank you guys so much for listening. Andy Larson, Zach Harper, and Ben Anderson signing out for the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700.